0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everyone. Welcome tonight to Romans chapter 12. Last week, Romans 11, the theme was how long will you go limping with two different opinions. Either Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah of all people or he is not. And we learned that if the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, the Jewish dough, then so too is the whole lump holy. And if the root of the tree is holy, so are the branches holy. But if some of the branches were broken off, and we're talking about the natural tree branches, the Jewish branches that did not believe Jesus was Messiah. And you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share in the richness of the olive tree. Paul is talking to a Roman wild Gentile audience, a wild olive branch audience. We also are wild Gentile Omaha, Nebraska Christians. We're wild olive branches. We got grafted into the Jewish trunk, but do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember, it's not you that support the root, but it is the root that supports you. That's what Paul told us in Romans 11, that we, as Gentiles, could be grafted into this Jewish olive tree and bear fruit for God's kingdom by living in Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah and the Son of God. Now, how do you like them olives? That was our theme last week. This day, our theme on Romans 12 is a new life in Christ, a new life in Jesus Christ, our Jewish Messiah. Now, why did so many miss the Messiah? Remember, bloody Jesus, was a stumbling block on the cross. Romans used crucifixion as a means of capital execution, capital punishment. Would God's anointed Messiah be given a bloody criminal's death outside the city walls? This did not look like the way their own sins were going to be forgiven, that they would forever be reunited with God in this fashion through this type of Messiah. But we have the advantage of having a bird's eye view they did not at the time of Christ. We have 2020 vision and still some do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. So Paul tells us that Israel's rejection is not final. This is all God part of God's bigger plan. He says, "I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous." And thus save some of them the responsibility now of worldwide evangelization is put on us and paul will tell us tonight to never flag in zeal lest you be wise in your own conceits i want you to understand this mystery brethren a hardening has come upon the part of israel until the full number of gentiles come in and so all israel will be saved there is still time for any israelite to come to know jesus christ the jewish Messiah. Only the Father knows the day or hour when we will meet the Lord, each one of us. But time is ticking, either to die and meet him or for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, in Romans 12, new life in Christ is our theme. And I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, says Paul, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Wait, 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 wait. What? 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 <laughs> a living sacrifice? Us? Jesus was a living sacrifice. I'm not sure I'm up to that. I, I, I don't know. Jesus Christ truly made his body a living sacrifice, a once-for-all blood sacrifice offered on behalf of the entire world. We, my friends, at this time in history, we don't understand blood sacrifice. But at the Catechism 53, God communicates himself to man gradually, preparing man to welcome by stages, the supernatural revelation that is to culminate in what? The person and mission of the incarnate Jesus Christ. So God will gradually teach humankind about animal sacrifice gradually, starting with our first parents, Adam and Eve. And they taught their sons, and their sons knew that a blood offering with a sincere heart was God's preference, the type that Abel offered, a pure heart, a blood offering, the blood of a lamb. This got Abel killed by his very own brother, just as Jesus was killed by his very own Jewish brothers when they demanded Barabbas, the other son of the father, to be set free, and Jesus hung. We want Barabbas, they said. It means son of the father. We want Barabbas. A lot of people still want Barabbas. A different Lord in their lives. They don't think Jesus is Messiah. They don't want him on the throne in their lives. A final blood sacrifice was happening right before their very eyes and they didn't see it. But we have to understand blood sacrifice. Noah killed the animals that he had fought so hard to bring on the ark and to keep alive on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. When they landed, immediately Noah built an an altar and offered praise and thanks to God for bringing them through the treacherous flood waters and to their salvation. Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of the clean animals, the clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord, and the Lord smelled the pleasing Aroma. Then we heard of the patriarch Abraham. The friendship between God and Abraham didn't just happen overnight. Abraham offered sacrifice to God on four different altars in Genesis. And Abraham's purest sacrifice was perfected at that fourth altar, the altar of the blood sacrifice, his own son, Isaac. The Lord said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I'll tell you where. God stopped Abraham in the nick of time. Abraham had passed the test. He was willing to give all his total, complete trust to God. The trust of our parents had been lost. They they neglected to trust in God's word. It had been lost in Eden. But Abraham was winning back God's favor with this extreme faith, this extreme trust in God's word, what God Said. And even though God could have resurrected Isaac in a heartbeat, God said, No, stop. Do not kill. Do not kill. This was only a test. God, the author of life, would never accept humans offering human blood sacrifices. So God spared Abram's son, but Paul told us in Romans 8 that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us all things with him? So God allowed Isaac to be spared. I flipped that uh, painting in reverse to show you the cruciform Isaac. This is by Tassad. I love it. God did not allow his own son Jesus to be spared, but offered him as a blood sacrifice. God never condoned human beings to offer other human beings as sacrifices. He opposed it. He said in Leviticus 20, when the Israelites were being um, bombarded with foreigners on all sides, any Israelite Or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. I myself will set my face against him and I will cut him off from the people. God hated human sacrifice. He had zero tolerance for human sacrifice in the Old Testament. King Solomon became involved in this horrendous practice. Solomon grew old, and his many, many wives turned him against God and turned him to all other sorts of God. And he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. On the east hill of Jerusalem, he built a place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And the Lord became very angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had filled him with wisdom and had appeared to him twice. He forbade Solomon to do this. Later, the evil king Manasseh offered his own son as a sacrifice. God condemned it. So did Ahaz. God condemned it. God's fifth commandment, thou shall not kill. God didn't want people killing people and offering their blood to him. God gave us animals. In Genesis chapter 1, over and over, God tells us to take the animal's everything, the fish, the birds, all animals, and have dominion over them. Humans have dominion over all the animals God made. And the life source was in the blood of the animal. And in Leviticus 17, God says, if any man of the house of Israel or of strangers that sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood. I will cut him off from among the people for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. So the animal sacrifice, the animal blood is given in atonement. (laughs) For the human mistake, the human transgression, God set up a sacrificial blood system over time because God was teaching us over stages of supernatural revelation that it all culminated in that final blood once for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. God started out with animal blood sacrifices, but will end all blood sacrifices with the final blood of his only son, Jesus Christ, our Jewish Messiah. Starting in the Exodus period, God established through Moses a very very elaborate sacrificial blood system of sin atonement. The psalmist in Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And what are the sins covered in? In animal blood. Sin would be covered with animal blood, atoned for with animal blood. Isaiah says, Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The blood offerings would make atonement for sin. What are some synonyms for atonement? Expiation, satisfaction, penance, reparation, redress, propitiation, compensation, amends, uh, it is the blood that will make the atonement by reason of the life of the animal because the life is in the blood so the life of the animal instead of your life will be offered in atonement expiation the hebrew word was kafar. it meant to cover or to cancel or to pacify atonement if you look at the word it's at one meant to be made at one with God again, to put back into right relationship. God would reveal to Moses his requirements for the Israelites to cover, to atone for their sinfulness with blood. Now there would need to be a priesthood, an intercessor, a go-between, a go-between between sinful people and an all-holy God. And God's goal of holiness would be universal for all people. God said in Leviticus 11 44, I the Lord your God am holy. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. God always wanted Israel to be holy and to be a light set apart to all the nations. As in Isaiah 42, 6, I'm the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, 6. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? That remnant, the preserved of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And Isaiah 60, all nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Israel was set apart to be a light to all the nations. And when the people messed up and fallen humans always, mess up. There would be a sacrificial blood system with a priesthood, and the people could make atonement to cover their offenses and come back into right relationship, into at one with an all-holy. God. That's how God set it up in the desert wanderings when he had Moses create a tabernacle that he showed him. And there in the back of the larger structure is the Ark of the Covenant is inside that Holy of Holies, the tent of the meeting in the very back holiest part of it. It was the holiest place on the face of the earth. Here's the inside, the most Holy place there where the ark was stored in this tabernacle or this tent of the meeting. Also at the front inside there was the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and the golden menorah, the lampstand with the seven lamps. Those were in the front part. And in the front was the brazen altar. Now the brazen altar was for the altar of burnt offerings so the people could make atonement, atonement for sin because... As Leviticus told us, without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. So day and night, day and night, day and night, the brazen altar was used for animal blood burnt offerings to the Lord. You could always smell them early in the morning and at 3 p.m., the twilight hour, when the evening offering was made. It's a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. And then Moses is given a whole, whole litany of sacrifices. This one is the daily offering. He is told that Everyone is to line up in a certain way in the encampment around the Holy of Holies. They are all God is supposed to be the center of their life, and then the priests, and then all the people. There were very elaborate instructions. And in that Holy of Holy place, there would be a pillar of cloud by day, signifying the true presence of God is in the tent, and a pillar of fire by night over the true presence of God is always dwelling in the middle of his people. God was always there inside the ark in the Holy of Holies. Holies, and their entire life centered around the Lord. Until that ark could have a permanent home when they made it to the home, Holy Land, Solomon finally built the first temple. And once that first holy temple was built, sacrifices only could be brought to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was forbidden to bring sacrifices anywhere else. So this is in Leviticus 17. Now that there's a permanent structure, sacrifices, animal blood must be offered there. But back in the desert, when they first came to Sinai, you'll remember when the Lord said, keep my covenant. You are my own possession, my own special people. All the earth is mine and you will be mine. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a people set apart. And he will go with them. Even after the infraction of the golden calf, he will journey with them. And As they were lined up in the desert, if you did our Exodus study with us, you remember they even were in the shape of a cross, and the Lion of Judah was leading the march, and the four living creatures were surrounding on each corner the tabernacle of the Lord. And Paul realized this to the Corinthians. He said they all drank the same supernatural drink in the desert. They drank from the supernatural rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, in the book of Leviticus, Moses gives us elaborate rules. God is how holy and fallen humans are not. Only clean people may approach God. Sin must be paid for with a blood sacrifice of animals. And instructions for God's chosen people, Israel, to have right worship before a holy God. There will have to be a priesthood and the priest will intercede in the covenant between God and the people. And the people will be set apart and they will be a worldwide witness to the one true God. And there will be five different types of Offerings, sacrifices. Leviticus 1, the burnt offering. Leviticus 2, the grain offering. Leviticus 3, the offerings of well being or peace. Leviticus 4, the sin offering. And Leviticus 5, the offerings with restitution. I'm not going to go through all of them, but just really briefly the daily offering, twice a day, morning and twilight. The burnt offering to atone for intentional sin. The grain offering, To give a gift to God could be a combination of various things. The peace offering or the fellowship offering is the only one that's voluntary, not obligatory, but it was an offering of thanksgiving to God for being saved from personal danger, from receiving salvation of some kind. And that was the only one that could be shared also with others in a communal setting. And then there was the guilt sin offering. And this would even cover accidental sins. Maybe uh, you didn't even know you did something wrong. But the all-time holiest day on the face of the earth for the Jews was the Day of Atonement. It's, it's called Yom Kippur, and it's described in Leviticus 16. It is the absolute holiest holiest day and it's an ancient Jewish ritual that helps us understand a fuller meaning of the purpose of the sacrificial final atoning blood of Jesus Christ it's the most holy most solemn day it's the only day when the high priest of Israel could enter into that tent into the holy of Holies in the sacred Tabernacle it's the one day that the high priest would reconcile Israel with God one day a year and symbolically bring them back into the direct presence of the Lord it's called the day Of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Now, We've talked before how the Jews could never, ever, ever mention, utter the name of God, the ineffable name of God. It was so holy. It was never to be pronounced out loud. It was never to be used outside of the temple. And even in the temple, it was used very infrequently only on the day of atonement. The high priest would use the ineffable name of God 10 times on this day. And when he would use the name, all the people would fall down and say, blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. They would prostrate themselves on the ground and cry out to the Lord. Very dramatic And, and just increased awe and importance of God, the name of God, the ineffable name of God. It was called the Tetragrammaton for the Jews. Here it is written out in Hebrew, the four letters. They wouldn't dare spell the name out. And Just to educate us a little bit, on June 29th in 2008, the Vatican issued an instruction asking that Yahweh, the ineffable name of God, be removed from all Catholic liturgy, hymns, songs, that we are not to say it. And the reason was because it violates the longstanding Jewish tradition of not naming the the name of God. And so it was out of respect for the Jewish people that, that in 2008, the Congregation for Divine Worship removed by a directive from Pope Benedict XVI removed the name of Yahweh from our liturgies out of respect. Some of you might remember the song, uh, You Are Near, Yahweh, I Know You Are Near, had to be changed to, O oh Lord, I Know You Are Near, Adonai, I Know You Are Near, so that we wouldn't say the ineffable name out of respect. Also, I'm going to be using some photos now from the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is a real place. It's in Jerusalem, and it's a place where they, their aim is to rebuild the temple, on the temple mount. Right now, the the Dome of the Rock is there. But this group, the Temple Institute, would like to reinstate animal sacrificial worship and build a third temple. And they're getting everything ready. So they are reconstructing. Here's the menorah. Here are the outfits for the high priest and and the priesthood. They have the, the musical instruments ready to go. The menorah, a model of the ark, but the ark is still missing. It's never been found in their book. But it's a museum that you can visit in the old Jewish Quarter. So I'll be using some of their pictures and you can go to their website and read it way more carefully. I'm going fast through it. But just to show you that on the Day of Atonement, the high priest always wore such an elaborate outfit with, with seven or different pieces. But on this day, On the Day of Atonement, he stripped down to only his white linen ephod woven in one piece. There were five required immersion baths, ritual baths for the high priest on this day of Yom Kippur. One of them, he had to wash his hands and wash his feet elaborately, which reminds me of Jesus, the high priest, the final high priest, who stripped down to his ephod, not to have his own feet washed, but to wash the feet of his 12 apostles on the night of his Last Supper. Now, the biggest day of the year, for the high priest of Israel is this day, Yom Kippur. And he will offer a high priestly prayer. What is the high priestly prayer of Jesus? He offered one as well in John 17, he prays the high priestly prayer, and you'll see some patterns here. But the bullock is brought out to the high priest, and the first thing he's going to do, he's called the high priest in Hebrew, is the kahan gadal. He will have a confession, and first he's going to confess all his own sins and the sins of his own household, and he's going to put them on the head of the bull. The people, during this prayer, he's going to pronounce the ineffable name of God three times, and the people are going to go prostrate, and they're going to, in great reverence prostrate themselves on the ground and say, blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. That's based again on Moses's song in Deuteronomy 32. Moses told Israel, whenever I mention the Holy One's name, you should all ascribe greatness to our God. They would never ever dream of taking the Lord's name in vain like so many people today. That would never ever be done. So he says to the congregation of the children of Israel that they will need two goats for a sin offering and one for a ram. Uh, uh, Two goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. The two goats, one, lot is for Hashim. That's the ineffable name. The other lot is for Azazel. Now Azazel is a place. It's the name that represents a very desolate place. And they're going to draw lots for these two goats, which one is going to be the sin offering and which one is going to be the burnt offering. And so the high priest will draw lots. And this is um, interesting because it usually was in the time before Jesus that his right hand would pick the one for God. It almost, uh, even though he was. He wasn't looking, and they mixed them all up. He would usually, with his right hand, his blessing hand, pick the one for Hashim, for the name. And they would say, raise up your right hand. And if it was his right hand for the lot, for the Lord, the assistant would say, master, high priest, Kohen Gadal, raise up your right hand. And if it sometimes went to the left hand, then they switched to the left hand. But they had to select a scapegoat to atone for Israel's sins. The Kohen Gadal would place lots on these lots, on the goats, heads between their horns either the lot that said for Hashim the sin offering and and all the people would say blessed is the name of the Lord or the Azazel that's going to be the scapegoat that's going to have all the sins of Israel heaped on them and be sent off to the desert. And so the high priest would tie a length of crimson dyed wool between the horns of the scapegoat and stand the goat facing the temple's eastern gate. And it's it's tied and with the crimson wool so they don't get mixed up. And there was a miracle of the crimson Wool. Back in the day before Jesus, before Messiah came, when the sacrifice was complete, the crimson wool would turn white as snow to signify, like Isaiah said, that their sins were like scarlet, but they have been made white as wool. And so these two goats get prepared. The high priest would leave them. He'd proceed with other aspects of this singular day's ceremonies. The other priest would mark the goat, the goat that was going later out to the desert. First, the high priest must offer the bullock and the incense. Everything on this day has to be done in a very specific prescribed order in Leviticus 16. The second Oral confession is made now. The high priest is now going to heap the sins on the bull. The confession on the first one was he and his family. This second time he does it, he is confessing on behalf of all his fellow priests. So he's heaping all the sins of the priesthood on this bowl. The same bull gets another confession over it. Again, they say that it was better for the innocent man, the high priest who has already confessed, to make the rectification for those who are liable for the other priests. Now, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, first prays, to the Father for himself. He and the Father were one, that he might glorify the Father and do his perfect will. Then Jesus prays for his disciples, his fellow priests. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And then thirdly, Jesus will pray for all believers, that they all may be one. And so it's two times on these bullocks, and then the third will be on the goat that's sent away for all people. So, after that second blessing for the priest, the bullock is slaughtered and his blood is retained in a container. Now, the priest is going to do the incense offering now, the altar of incense. He's going to need a shovel and he's going to have to uh, go up this ramp and get the incense. And every other day, the priests walk on the extreme sides of the ramp, but only on Yom Kippur. The high priest goes straight up the middle. It's a very, very brazen act, but it's a strong sense of reverence and awe for the Holy One they're, they're, on this day, they go straight up the middle. The reason, listen to this, on Yom Kippur, that Yohan Kadal walks right along the middle of the ramp. The symbolism of this action is clear. Today, let's all take note of Israel's honor and her fondness in the Holy One's eyes. So much does he cherish Israel that today on this day, all her sins are forgiven. Israel can behave like a child in her father's house, openly declaring their love and affection. So, it's a sign of love that this is the only day the high priest goes up the middle. And in Leviticus 16, they're told to take a shovel full of burning coals, from the altar that is before Hashim, take a double handful of finely ground incense and bring them into the sanctuary beyond the curtain. Now, this is the holiest of all places, and the high priest will enter into the sanctuary with the, with the burning incense. Between the double curtains, there are two curtains separating into the holy of holies, the most holiest place on the face of the earth. He goes alongside the length of the curtain, and he knows where to enter between the poles of the Ark of the Covenant, and he places the coals. Down in front of the ark. That was part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.